started back in December and I preached, or Damien preached, gave us an overview of Romans, which was exciting. And then he got to the point of Romans 12 and then we start to share about Romans 12, which is about this new life that we have in God, what this new life is all about, how it works. And so I shared the first week about, I'll give you a little bit of a recap so to remind you all. I shared about, you know, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice and that God asks for our bodies just as they are. The scripture, the, the word for bodies there is body. It's not anything new or different. It's like, come as you are. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, just like I gave myself as a living sacrifice for you. And so we're called to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And that means, and it goes on to explain, that that is how we worship God. That's how we honour God with our lives. And when we're doing that, we discover God's purpose and will for our lives, which we talked about comes down to basically being simply becoming more and more like Jesus. And then Emily shared with us the next week in Romans 12 verses 3 to 5 about the fact that God doesn't want us to do this alone, but he puts us in his body. You remember that? We had Mr. Potato Head on the screen. And uh, we're all part of this body and everything we do is in humility to one another that we, we don't put ourselves first, we, we put others before ourselves and in that we live in God's blessing. And uh, the fact that having a relationship with God is not a solo act. We don't do this alone, we do it with others. That serving God is a team effort. Uh, and it was so cool because God gives us boundaries on how our relationships with work but the exciting thing is that when we work as a body, we actually, God reveals the fullness of who he is to us. So this is a great thing is that our relationships with each other, our relationships amongst each other in the body of Christ actually reveal God to us. Isn't that good? So doesn't that make you think how much more important your relationships are? Because in our relationships, we can actually discover the very character and nature of God, which is so good. And then last week, we had a few weeks off. This crazy thing called Christmas got in the way. And uh, New Year's. And then Steve, you know, I just got him to preach whatever he wanted because he's, he's a sort of free spirit. And uh, I didn't want to harness him down. I wanted him to go for it. And he preached a great message to encourage us to start the year. But, and then Benito came last week and he shared with us about the gifts that God gives us. So Romans 12, verses 5 to 8. And uh, it, was, it was really good. He's not bad, that young fella. He did a good job. Uh, and he taught us the fact that God's gift of salvation doesn't stop at salvation. That God keeps giving us gifts. And the key thing about these gifts is, is not so much the gifts, but the way we use those gifts is critical. That we must do them to honour each other. We must do them to, it came down to the fact, we must do them to love each other and love God, which is, which is great. It's, and these first eight verses of Romans 12 really give us an introduction to this life we have in God. And so today I'm going to preach about Romans 12, 9 to 11 
9, 10, and 11. And it's really interesting. It's at this point that Paul stops talking about, um, you know, this amazing life we have now received through God, a life where we can present ourselves before God because of everything he's done for us. And he's given us a body to be a part of and he's given us gifts to operate in. But then he starts to get down to the practical. He starts to get down to the how-tos. And so it's like, from verse 9, it's like, and this is, the li- this is how you live this life. And he clearly outlines some really practical measures and, and boundaries of how this life works. In other words, the way I would say it is he's showing us what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. This is what he is. If you want to know what a living sacrifice looks like, then read Romans 12, 9 and onwards. And you'll discover what it looks like. So let's read it together. Does that sound good? Is that for it? Oh, I better turn on my clicker first. Here it is. Let's, why don't you read it with me so I'm not doing it on my own. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it gives life. That it transforms us by the renewing of our mind. We pray that these words would renew our mind and transform our lives today. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's no accident that the first command God gives us in verse 9, that if we're going to be a living sacrifice, if we're going to become more and more like Jesus, then the type of love that we practice must be sincere. Love must be sincere. In another translation it says, love must be without hypocrisy. A word that is used a lot when people complain about Christians. Isn't that right? Your love must be without hypocrisy. Now it's no accident that God would make this command after he's been talking about all the gifts that he gives us. Because he knows too well that when we start operating in these gifts, it's very easy for us to get puffed up. Isn't that right? To feel pretty good about ourselves. Look look what I'm doing for God. I'm doing these amazing things for God. And God says, in in one statement, he says, don't forget, your love must be sincere. He knows exactly what matters most. And so today I want to look at what does sincere love look like? What does it look like to love without hypocrisy? Now, this word love in this passage is one that we know well in this church. It's one that I've preached on time and time again. My daughter asked me before the service because she saw what my topic was. She said, did you choose this verse deliberately? Because I know how much you love preaching about love, especially agape love. And I said, no, it just happened this way. It's just, 
Just the straw I drew. It actually did because this Benito was meant to preach on this, but he was he was meant to preach this week, and uh, he went on retreat, and so I got him to preach last week when I was meant to preach, and he, so I wasn't meant to preach on this. So it's actually I believe God ordained that I'm meant to speak on love again to you guys, and so this idea of agape love, you might be able to tell me yourselves, but it's defined as. I've said it many times here, unconquerable benevolence. What does that mean? It means that no matter how people treat me, I will show them worth and value in response. I will show them that they are, they are of unsurpassable worth. I will show them the, the value that they are, not because of the way they treat me, but I will treat them the way that God would treat them. And this, this is what God does for us, that he loves us in spite of the way we treat him. As Matt shared so powerfully and Linda was on the, on the mark today just sharing about that. So this agape love that we're talking about is not something that we switch on and off. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life that we live. And in, in true uh, Port Church fashion these days, I've got some Greek of the week for you. Um, Romans 12.9, it says, love must be sincere. What is that word for love? I don't, if you can pronounce that, I will give you $20. How about that? Can hey, I can't hear you. Anawopkritos, something like that. Liam would like the 20 bucks. Come and see me later, Liam. I'll look after you. Okay. <laughs> it's all right, Liam. I'll still I'll give you 20 bucks later for trying. I'll I'll give it to Jess and she can work out what she does with it. But the let me show you what this word means. This will blow your mind. You want to see what this word means? To love without a mask. God's command to us is your love must be without a mask. How appropriate for our world today. That our love must be genuine. It must be free from deceit. It must be authentic and it must be undisguised. This word actually comes from this idea of the actors of the day would put on masks to show their feelings, to show their emotions. You know, you've seen those masks, the sad face and the happy face. And so what, what sincere, being sincere is all about is not having anything to show your emotions, but just show yourself as you are. To be authentic in how you're feeling, in what's going on. You see, the Christian's loving behaviour should not be acting apart. We're not called to act as Christians. We're not called to act as followers of Jesus. We're called to be Christians. We're called to be followers of Jesus. Our love should be an authentic expression of our renewed mind and our transformed life. So how do we love without hypocrisy? How do we love with sincerity? 
Now, before Jesus came, everything we knew about God was in the law. That God had given it to us. And, and in the law, the greatest commandment, as, we, as Jesus told us, or, or he met this young man and he said, how do I you know, get right with God and all that stuff? And he said, well, what does the law say? And he says, love your Lord God with all your heart, mind and soul and love your neighbour as yourself. And, then, and so when Jesus came into the world, that was what the Jews used as their guiding light. And the problem was, though, that the world that Jesus came into, just like our world today, was so damaged by sin that it had distorted this law. And what this law had become was, instead of being something that was liberating, it had become something that was self-serving and in reality selfish. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. This is where he talks about this law and the fact that, you know, who is your neighbour? And, and the reality of what the Jews had done is they had narrowed their neighbour down to those who were only in their circle, in their vicinity, that they would not help anyone out of their own little tight-knit circle. And that wasn't even... The Jews, it was even down to sex and families, and they wouldn't, that they're my neighbour, and so I will only help them. Because at the end of the day, helping them helps me. And this is the idea, and, and this is the idea we have in even our, our world today, is I'll only help someone else if it helps me. If it does something good for me. Anyone thought of that? Anyone had that, seen that around? This idea that I would only love someone if it was to my benefit. Because loving yourself, love your neighbour as yourself, is all about doing what helps me most. So they distorted this commandment to not meaning what it truly meant, which was basically that idea is that I should love others as I would want to be loved, as Jesus taught us. So what Jesus did is he gave us a new commandment. A new commandment that would supersede the old. Do you understand? So in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you. What does he say? That you love one another. So it's no more love your neighbour or who's your neighbour and trying to work that out. No, love one another as I have loved you. So all of a sudden, with this new command... Jesus flips the script. He flips everything on its head. And in that one simple statement, he shows us how we can love authentically, how we can love without a mask, and how we can love with sincerity. So I want to share with you two simple truths from this command that I believe will help us build a foundation for loving sincerely and loving the way God has called us to. Anyone interested? Yeah? So two truths that will empower us to love without hypocrisy. Number one is that we need to understand that we are loved. Very simple statement Jesus has, but often we get caught on, up on the fact that we're to love one another as Jesus has loved us. So the idea is we get, oh, so we've got to do it like Jesus did it. But we miss the fact that Jesus loves us. 
Don't ever get tired of that thought. Just as Linda shared this morning, don't ever take for granted that you are loved. That we are to love one another. How? As Jesus loved us. That tells us that we are loved. I want you to grab a hold of this because it's on this foundation of security that we can love others without a mask. In 1 John 4.19, it says it like this. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. You see, when we are truly loved, we feel valued, we feel worthy, and we feel safe and secure. And it's from that place that God wants us to love each other. A place from where we know that we are truly loved. A place where we can not just love ourselves, but we can love others, not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done for us. I say that really clearly because I want to share with you my story. Because the reality of my story is that for most of my life, and I'll be honest with you, it's only been a few years now, but for most of my life, I loved others, and I've been preaching this type of message for years, but the reality that when I had to actually be honest with myself, I loved others so that they would love me. But that's not what God is asking from us. He's wanting us to firstly know that we are loved. So this is really important because God wants us to love because we are loved. He doesn't want us to love so that we would receive love. I want you to grab hold of this and I want to use my story to help you understand it. Now, most of you know I grew up with my mum who's a single mum and we come from good Italian heritage and there might be other cultures like this but apparently I was a very, very naughty little boy. <laughs> I don't remember it but apparently I was. I grew up in, in Alice Springs and apparently I only wore underpants for the first two years of my life. Uh, that's just how I, I rolled. Uh, and, I, and I was a bit of a menace. Like I, one of our neighbours who was Noel Fullerton, who used to run the camel races, I don't know if you remember him, big beard and stuff, they were our neighbours. And one day I decided to paint his brand new veranda and concrete with tyre black. Just thought it'd be a good idea. He was pretty furious. But, uh, that, and I remember my uncle telling me, when you were little, when I was a bit older, when you were little, you were terrible. You were a terrible little kid. What's happened? You're so nice now. <laughs> and, and I, the funny thing is I discovered something very early in age is that when I did naughty things, I would get punished. But when I did good things, I would receive blessings. And so this thing started to operate in my mind that if I be good, I will get love. But if I don't be good, then love will be refused to me. Now, I'm not saying that's how 
that my parents and stuff wanted that to happen, but that's the way I understood it. Uh, and, uh, and so as I grew older, the, this idea was in my head. If I, if, and, but there was something in me that wanted to be naughty. And most of you know me now, I still like to be naughty sometimes. <laughs> Not in anything bad, but just cheeky. But the reality of it is, as most of you will be aware, my dad left when I was young. And uh, when I was about 12, 13, he had a car accident and was in a, in a um, hospital for nine months before he passed away. Now, we were estranged at that time, but my mum started to go into hospital to look after him and, and, and she'd forgiven him and for everything that had happened. And, and I, I just didn't like going into hospital. I didn't really like seeing him. There was a lot of emotions there that weren't great. And, uh, and this... Now, let me say this. I... I've not shared this openly in church or anywhere other than with people that are really close to me. But there was a point when he was nearly going to die. And so mum said to us kids, you know, we need to go see your dad. He's probably not going to be with us much longer. I was about 13 at the time. And so I went. I thought this is the right thing to do. And so I went in and, and he was there and he wasn't doing great. But he was still conscious and he could communicate a little bit and uh, he could communicate with his eyes and hands, like he'd squeeze your hand for different things. And it was time for us to go and so everyone said goodbye to him and I went up to say goodbye to him and something happened that just reinforced this idea that, that I will love only to be loved in return. And um, I went to kiss him and he turned his head away from me. And, uh, and it was like that moment, it just, that moment of rejection reinforced in me that I have been, I haven't been visiting my dad, I hadn't been going to see him, and so I am getting the punishment of not, I'm not getting his love because I've been a bad boy. I've not been doing the right thing. And so that sent me into a spiral, to be honest. And even in my relationship with God, I just thought that, God, I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not. And so my relationship with God started to go downhill from there. And, and, but all from this place, like my dad wasn't a good dad. But I didn't understand all of that. And I didn't understand all of those things. All I understood is that I hadn't been doing the right thing. And so I didn't receive love. And so receiving love required me to do the right thing. And I even remember when I turned 16. I was 16, 17 years of age, and I went to a, a youth rally. Chris, my sister, took me along. She, she knew I wasn't doing great in my walk with God or any of that. And so she said, come to this youth meeting with us. It was in Murray Bridge. And this guy talked about the Father heart of God and how God loves us. And I just, it hit me here and I just knew, yes, I need that. I want God's love. So I went to the front and I I responded and I committed my life back to this God who loves me, which was amazing. But the reality of that moment is that I determined from that day on that I was going to serve God with everything I had. But let me say this, and my decision was that 
I would do everything I could to make God proud. I would do everything I could to make God love me. That was my decision, that I would do everything I could. So I would go, I would serve God, I ended up in ministry, all because I wanted God to love me. Not fully understanding that I was loved. That you are loved. Now there might be a lot of people here that you can relate to that. That we have this idea that I have to do things to make God love me. But I want to stand here today and tell you that the first thing you need to fully understand is that you are loved. Full stop. It doesn't require anything else. You need to understand that you are loved, that you don't need to do anything to get love anymore. The very fact is, I love now because I am loved. Do you hear that? I don't love to get love, I love because I am loved. And I really sense that there are people here that you need to understand, you need to be reminded that you don't need to do anything to get God's love. He loves you. As Linda so powerfully showed us in communion, he loved us even before we were born. He formed us. You don't have to do anything to get God's love. Do you hear me? This is really, really important. Because it's only a few years ago that I, I realized that I was basing my life need for God's love on my performance and that always falls short. I remember sitting on this front row worshipping here in church and God giving me a picture of him in this room and me as a 12-year-old boy walking up to him and him not turning his face from me but welcoming me in with open arms just as I was and in that moment healing came. In that moment, revelation came that God isn't like my father. That God accepts me just as I am. That he will never reject me. There's people here, you need to hear that. It doesn't matter what you do, God will never turn his back on you. If you come to him, he will always receive you. Why? Because he is love. He can't not love you. You are loved. I might be laboring this point, but I just have a sense that people need to hear this this year. People need to hear this this day, that you are loved. God will never reject you when you come to him. The second thing that this command teaches us is that we love how we have been loved. Jesus gives us a clear template on how we are to love. And understand this, the way we are to love has nothing to do with how it makes us feel. Do you get that? The way we love is, it's got nothing to do with making us feel good about ourselves. It's all about honouring the love that we have been given. 
And so in that thought is I, I will love you no matter how you treat me because the reality is that the way you treat me does not change the truth that I am loved, that I am valued and that I am safe and accepted. Do you get that? If I know I am loved, the way you treat me does not change that. It doesn't change that I am loved by God, that I'm accepted by God, and that I am valued by God. And this is the, the key factor in this, is that sometimes we are afraid to love without a mask because we are afraid that people will reject us. Just like my dad rejected me that day, many of us are afraid to love openly and honestly and as we are and we like to put on a mask because we're afraid that people will reject us if they know who we truly are. Isn't that right? But the reality is Jesus still loved no matter how people treated him. Jesus still died on a cross even though people still reject him today. He still loves them. And this is, this is the powerful thing, is that when we read that passage that love one another as I have loved you, the first thing we go to is that we must lay our lives down for one another. We must, you know, sacrifice ourselves for others, which there is that truth. But the reality of what Jesus is teaching us is that he loved us by giving us all of himself. It wasn't just about his sacrifice on the cross, although that was a major part. But the reality is when he came to earth, he gave us everything. The Bible teaches us that he showed us what God is like. He, he, we see in the, visible, in the visible the invisible, it says in Colossians. So in Jesus, is, we see the visible God of the God who had been invisible with to them to that time. And so in that reality, Jesus, when he came, there was nothing hidden. The thing we love about Jesus is that he was so open, isn't that right? He just, what you saw is what you got. This is who I am. And whether people chose, he still loved them, whether they rejected him or accepted him. There was nothing hidden from him. And this is the key for us. That if we're going to love without a mask, we need to love by giving all of ourselves. All of myself. Not hiding behind a mask and hiding stuff from people so they don't really know who we are. But in God's kingdom, when it says your love must be sincere, what he's saying is yes, love because you are loved but also love by giving all of yourself. Hold nothing back. How's that sound? That's pretty scary. That means a bit of honesty, openness, reality. Hopefully even this morning I've taken that to a new level for you as I've been open and honest with you, but this is the way God wants us to love. Don't hide behind a mask anymore. And you can, do, you, you can do that when you know you are fully loved. When you know that you are accepted and valued 
and God has got you, He's, you are safe and secure, it makes sense that you can love openly and honestly. Isn't that right? Let me take you to the next part of verse 9 because it says something really interesting there that sort of doesn't make sense with what we've been talking about because then Paul, through God's inspiration, goes on to say to us, abhor evil and cling to what is good. So says this statement, your love must be sincere and then all of a sudden goes on to abhor evil and cling to what is good. What has that got to do with what's just been said? And I think it has a lot, actually, to do with what's just been said. Because I believe by saying this, he is actually giving us a clear answer to how we can love without a mask. And we do it by abhorring evil and clinging to what is good. J.B. Phillips translates it like this. Let us have no imitation Christian love. Let us have a genuine break with evil and a real devotion to good. So hating evil and clinging to what is good is how we can live, love authentically and with sincerity. Now let me say this, and I want you to ponder this for a while and I'll leave it with you. I'm not going to linger on it for ages. But when it says we hate evil, I believe God is asking us to hate evil because evil is anything and anywhere God's love isn't. You get that? Evil, we are commanded to hate evil because evil is anything and anywhere that God's love isn't. And so when we think of evil, we think of those gross acts of evil, you know, people like Hitler and, and mass murderers and serial killers and, and all those sorts of things, those, you know, terrible acts of evil. But evil is very simply little stuff as well. You know, lying is evil. Gossip is evil. Because the reality is gossip hurts others and God's love isn't in gossip. And so any type of living selfishly is also evil because God's love isn't living selfishly. It's living selflessly. So basically anything that distracts us from God's love and gets us off the track of living, loving without a mask and gets us off the track of clinging to what is good is something that Paul tells us to abhor and hate. Now, the, the original language, the image of this is this idea of fleeing. Oh, like that piece of paper just went fleeing. That was good timing. It just flee, fled my pulpit. But that's what evil is. I mean, what, what this passage is talking about is that we should l run away from evil as hard as we can, that we should flee it. It talks about fleeing youthful lusts and that in the Bible. It's the same sort of concept. So if I was explaining, to explain to you how that worked in modern day theories, it fleeing evil, let me say it this way. I have never been to the port club because I am fleeing evil. Do you understand? Do you get that? Do you, do you hear that? Steve's just gone to the Constitution. It's like, he's never been there because I don't want to go anywhere evil. 
where God's love just isn't. Sorry, sorry. Let's be more serious. Let's be a bit more serious. The fact is, this idea of when you flee something, you run towards something. So the, the idea is clinging to something and leaving something. The best scriptural idea that we have of this in the Bible is Genesis 2.24. Whereas we use this in marriages, but therefore a man shall leave his mother and father, shall flee his parents, and he shall cleave unto his wife, cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you get that? So the, this idea is you leave one thing and you cling to the next. And this idea of clinging to good is not just a simple like holding hands, it's like, it's, Dan just like, no, it's much better than that. It's like, it's, it's not just holding hands, it's like sticking to each other like glue. I'll keep it PG. But it's like, the, the language is like adhering to one another, clinging, to, like holding on to someone like they're a, a, a life boy and you're going to drown that you're going to cling to it <coughs> with everything you have. And, and this is the great thing, is that if we leave evil and, and, and abhor and hate evil and get away from it, get away from anything where God's love isn't, then the idea is that we are to cling to good. And what is good? Good is Jesus. Good is God. Good is the Holy Spirit. Good is the, fa- that? Good is the Father. That's what good is. That good is God and everything he has done for us. And the exciting thing about this language and, uh, is, the, is the very fact that it's talking, like the marriage idea, it's talking about relationship. This clinging is talking about a relationship. That God doesn't just want us to be an acquaintance or a friend. He wants us to be an intimate part- partner with him. If we use that idea of marriage, I would say that I am a different man because I am married to Julie. My life has changed because I have been married to Julie. And let me say, for the good. Transformed. I'm a better person because I have clung to Julie, if that's a word. Clung. Clinged? Clinged would be better, wouldn't it? You like clung? I just think of flung when you say clung. When you've, what is it, Emma? Clinged or clung? Oh, the grammar expert has told me, English professor. So you can clung to something. That's good. But this is the idea. This is the idea is that the, the relationship we have with Jesus, he explains it in Matthew when he says, Come to me, all you who are labored and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I've talked about this before, that yoke. The idea is that the young ox would be strapped under the yoke of an older ox, and the old ox would teach them how to live under a yoke. That would guide them and teach them how to be a good ox. And this is the idea that Jesus wants, that we would abhor anything where his love isn't and that we would cling to him and allow him to lead us and guide us to where he wants us to go. Do you get that? 
Is that good? This is an exciting thing and I, I'm going to finish there. I've got another verse to go but I'm going to finish there because we could go on and on. And I'll take up next time when I preach the next verse but it, it just builds upon that, this idea. But we're just going to do verse 9. Turn those fans down. No, don't do it. But the fact is, uh, I've said what I need to say today. That we need to understand that we are loved. And that we are to love as Jesus has loved us. In other words, we are to love by giving all of ourselves, just like Jesus gave all of himself. We are to live honestly and openly, sincerely, without a mask. And we do it by fleeing anything that doesn't have God's love in it. So when, when you feel tempted to live selfishly and to live for what benefits me above others, you flee that and you cling to Jesus. And you say, Jesus, I want to be like you. Teach me your ways. Teach me how I am to live. Teach me to love selflessly. Teach me to love as you've called me to love. That's what God is telling us in Romans 12.9. So let's pray. Just before we pray, I have a sense that for maybe some people here, that idea of loving so that you might be loved really resonated. That for many of your life, much of your life, you've thought, like I thought, that the only way I'm going to get love if, is if I do the right thing, if I be the good boy. And then you know your life doesn't measure up and so you've given up on trying to do that. But God wants you to know this morning that you are loved unconditionally as you are. That he accepts you. You don't have to do anything to receive his love other than just come to him. To walk up to him and he'll open his arms to you and wrap his arms around you and love you if we would just come to him. And so as I'm about to pray, if there's people here and you feel like that, you say, God, I want to stop loving just to get love. I want to love just to be who you've called me to be. I want to just love because I know I'm loved. I'd love to pray with you about that. And so what I'd ask you to do, if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to make a big statement or anything, but I'd ask you to just put your hand on your heart and just say, God, I give you my heart and I just love you and I just want to know how much you love me. So just, if that's you, I'd just ask you as I pray just to put your hand on your heart and say, God, I'm yours. I accept your love as I am. Lord God, I pray for every person in this place. You know their situation. You know the rejections they've faced over their life where people haven't accepted them for who they are. You know the way that's affected them. And I just pray that today they would realise and understand that you love them 
exactly the way they are. That you love them and believe in them and value them. That they are worthy of your love. That they are accepted. And that they are safe and secure. God, let that become a reality for them. That they might love because they are loved. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.